Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, today I'm going to kind of end this message series so that all may hear. We're going to end it with this idea, this unleashing command. Uh, some of you might remember my dog, Zeus. Anyone remember my dog, Zeus? Some of you remember my dog, Zeus. Some of you know me so well, you know that Zeus was known for licking my feet. I know. I, I said that in the first service, and somebody said out loud, I was like, gross. <laughs> It, was, it grossed a lot of people out. It grossed a lot of people out anyways. But Zeus, you know, and I thought, hey, you know, I thought, man, this dog loves me. I, I'm like the master of this dog. And then I realized that that's actually a sign that he owns me. <laughs> I'm like, get out of here, you know. Anyways, uh, so, so, so Zeus, he was an awesome dog, you know. But to be honest, we're not, we weren't very good dog parents. We're just, we grew up in an era where you don't, you know, you just kind of let the dog out and then let him come back. You know, you certainly don't go up behind him and pick up the poop and put it in a bag and take it home with you. That just wasn't one of the things. And so we just weren't, you know, I just, we just weren't good dog parents. So we found this lady in, in Waverly who, who she was like excited to get a miniature dachshund. Um, we called him Zeus. My kids called him Zeus even though he was tiny, but he was like a fierce, like a Zeus, you know, and and so we found this lady up in Waverly, Iowa. Her name was Dina. She, she basically adopted him from us. And um, I'm sure when Dina's talking about Zeus to friends and people that she knows, she's like, yeah, he's a rescue. <laughs> we rescued from really neglectful parents down in Coralville. <laughs> but the Zeus, Zeus was, I love Zeus because one of the things about Zeus, he was not meant for a leash, I mean, he was meant to run. Like, he has this, I don't know if dachshunds just have this innate, you know, they were a hunter's kind of dog, you know, but man, there was not a squirrel, there was not a, a, a bunny rabbit that, would, that he did not pay attention to. Man, he wanted to chase these animals down. And so we got this leash, and I, I, had, to, I had to get a leash because my neighbor came over and said, hey, your dog is doing his stuff in my yard, and so we got to take care of him. So I got a leash for him. You know, it's one of those leashes that went through his arms, his legs, his front, front legs, because if you put one around his neck, he would just slip out of it, and he was gone. And then it was like chasing him all over the neighborhood, you know. So we'd get, I'd put him on a leash, and we'd start walking down the street. And if, it, this is what, it, I was walking, but Zeus was not walking. He was leaping. He was just constantly like, ugh, ugh, you know, and the leash was holding him back, you know. Now, I don't speak dachshund, but probably what, Lu what Zeus was saying was, dude, let me run. Let me run. Why do you have me leashed up? I am made for this. I am made for running. He wanted desperately to be unleashed. Well, and I understand that. He should have. Jesus in Matthew 28 gives us this amazing unleashing commandment that we started this series talking about. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. It's been given to him. Therefore, go. And I get the image here when I see this little word, therefore, go. I get this image of Jesus kind of like reaching down to us and taking the leash off. I said, now go. Get out there. Run. Run for me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus unleashes these early apostles. And then the book of Acts kind of records the unleashing of these early apostles. It records what they did, the exploits that they did. I want to make a point, though, before I get into, we're going to read a story in the book of Acts about Peter and John, but before I get into I want to make a point about something. You have to understand that these early apostles, this early church, they changed the world. It's not just, not just my words. I'm not just using fantastical language to tell you that they changed the world. You just go to history. That this religion that was born in some, the armpit of the Roman Empire spread around the entire world that today, 2,000 years later, you and I are sitting here every single Sunday talking about this Jesus. They changed the world. But they didn't change the world because there was a handful of highly educated, politically connected, ultra, you know, wealthy influencers. That's not how they changed the world. They changed the world because there was this group of, this like united group of ordinary people like you and me, who said God has called us to do something bigger than ourselves. He's invited us, invited us on this journey of mission. And they set out to do it, and God used them. Ordinary people, he used them in extraordinary ways. You see, God loves to unleash the unqualified. God loves to unleash the unqualified. And I think, I think for many of us, just like Zeus had a leash, for many of us, our leash is that we don't feel qualified. I don't know if you do the math in your head like I do sometimes, where I think, I look at my life, I see all my, my weaknesses and my failures. I add them all up. And then I multiply it by all of my mistakes along the way. And then I look at the world out there and the need in the world out there. And I say to myself, there's, there's no way that I can do anything in this. There's no way that I can solve this problem. There's no way that God can use me. Can use me. And here's the deal, though. You have to understand that God's math is different than our math. God loves to unleash the unqualified. He loves to demonstrate his power through us. In fact, the things, the very things that oftentimes you think are a liability to, to you to be used by God, the ver those very liabilities that you think you have, God loves to take those, turn them upside down, and build his kingdom with it. That's what God does. So there's these two guys in the book of Acts that we're going to look at that felt this way. I'm sure they felt unqualified, Peter and John. And you have to understand something about Peter, and keep this in mind. Peter and John did not ask for the job to lead the church. Like, they didn't, they didn't apply for the job to lead the church. They didn't graduate highest honors in their rabbinical training class. They didn't ace, like, the gospel ACT or the gospel SAT. They didn't, they didn't like, nail an interview or anything like that. In fact, if you, if you looked at the life of Peter and John, you can make the case that these guys were actually disqualified from leading the church. I mean, Peter was this kind of impulsive guy that, that uh, you know, he just, he, he had a knack for saying things, 
saying the wrong things at the wrong time. And he, and he would just react, you know. And yet, he becomes a spokesman for this early church. And then you've got John, that before he became a follower of Jesus, he was known for having like this short temper. He was kind of like an angry guy. Um, so much so that he had a nickname. His nickname was Son of Thunder. Son of Thunder. Like Son of Thunder is not like the normal nickname for like the valedictorian of a Bible college. <laughs> Son of Thunder actually sounds like a biker gang. <laughs> and so so I, the image of a Son of Thunder is I think of this guy riding up in a Harley with a really scary face tattoo. You know, that's what I think of when I think Son of Thunder. And this is John, you know? I mean... You, you see, John, this is how he was, and yet what you see is that God begins to work in John's life and starts to transform him, and he starts talking more about love. And it took a while. There's a scene in the Gospels where John comes up to Jesus, and he asks permission to call fire down from heaven to destroy this town, because <laughs> they rejected him, you know? Let's just burn them, let's just burn them. And Jesus is like, um, nope, that's not what we're here to do. That's not how we're here to do it. <laughs> You know, and yet in his emotion and his zeal and his anger, he was convinced that these people must die. But then as God begins to work on John's heart, John begins to evolve and change and transform. And before long, when you get to first John, second John, third John in the Bible, it's all about love. It's all about love. God works with people. I mean, if you looked at John's resume, you would have said he's not qualified. He's not qualified to lead the church. But God loves to unleash the unqualified. Are you hearing me? God loves to unleash the unqualified. So if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but man, I got so much baggage. I've got so much junk in my life. I don't even know. If I, yeah, the, I'm, I'm not going to volunteer for anything. I'm not going to be involved in anything. Just remember this. God loves. He used all kinds of people, and he's, he wants to use you. We're going to look at a passage in Acts, starting with Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to start there, but then we're going to circle back. We're going to start from, this is the end of the story. We're going to go back to the beginning of the story and kind of go backwards. But I want to start with, with the, the ending. You know, Peter and John, they're standing trial before uh, this, this council of religious leaders. And these religious leaders, they come to this realization about Peter and John. They kind of discover something about Peter and John. And it says in verse 13, that they, this is what they realize. They realize that they, talking about Peter and John, they were unschooled ordinary men. Like they were unschooled, meaning they were never taught words on how to, and how to use these words. Like they were uneducated, right? They were fishermen, so it makes this, stands the reason that they were uneducated. And then it says they were ordinary. The Greek word for ordinary is the word idiotes. It's, it's, it's like where we get the word idiot in the English language. Okay? I didn't have back then the same connotation that it kind of carries the, you know, the very derogatory connotation. It, it was derogatory, but not as derogatory as it is today. But essentially, what, what these guys were saying, what they realized is these, Peter and John, are uneducated idiots. That's what they learned. That's what they came to conclusion. These are uneducated idiots, these two, these two guys, these fishermen, right? I was thinking about some of the unwords that make, make me sometimes feel unqualified. Maybe for you it's not uneducated or, uh, you know, but maybe something else. So I made a list. I have a few here. Like maybe you feel untalented or uninspiring, unex unexperienced. 
maybe you could say that inexperienced, but just to stay with my unpart, let's just say unexperienced. Are you English majors here? Don't send me any emails after this. Unprepared, uncertain, unattractive, under-resourced, uncompelling, unemployed, unessential, unequipped, unexciting, unworthy. I sometimes feel this one right here, unworthy. I have to remind myself, oftentimes coming up to this platform, walking up here, that I am unworthy and that I find my worth in Christ and Christ alone. Because sometimes I could feel like I need to get my worth from you. Like you need to like what I say. And sometimes I'm not sure that you like what I say. <laughs> I could feel unworthy. I am unworthy. But Christ gives me what my worth. 2020. Oh yeah, 2020. Um, there's a couple words that, that stick out for me in 2020. Unprepared. Unequipped. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I felt like we were sitting around in 2020 during COVID making all kinds of decisions, and I felt completely unprepared and completely unequipped. I'm like, okay, I think this is not the best way to make a decision. Let's, do, let's decide this, and I think that's a good decision. I'm not sure exactly. I can't tell you the number of times I felt like I didn't know at all what I was doing. I feel unqualified. <clears throat> now, our tendency is that when we feel unqualified, maybe, maybe we've been taught through church or religion that no, 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 don't, don't, don't feel unqualified. Look at, look at yourself in the mirror and just tell yourself, oh, no, Rich, you are qualified. Absolutely, you, look at you, you are qualified. But that's not the truth. You see, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ, is that he loves to unleash the unqualified. He loves to use you. You can't change the world. I can't change the world. I can't change your, I get up here every single Sunday morning. I cannot change your heart. I cannot. I don't have that ability. I don't have the qualifications to do that. I can communicate a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's God who does it, and he uses an uneducated idiot. Well, maybe, I have not, maybe I'm not uneducated, but I am the idiot. <laughs> yeah. In Acts chapter 3, verse 4, this story starts of Peter and John. It starts with an act of compassion. Peter and John, they show this extraordinary compassion. They're on the way to church. They're on the way into the temple, and they run into this beggar begging for money. It starts, verse two, it says this. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. So there's a man who was, it says he was lame from birth. I, my, I used to tease my kids, you know, like they'd come home from school and they're like, man, my teacher's so lame. And I said, oh, he can't walk? Really? That's weird. And dad, you're an idiot. Um, uh, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful which is an entrance into the temple, and it's the gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So he's there every single day. This guy, is, he's, he can't walk, so he's carried, he's dropped in front of the gate, and there he begs, okay? Peter and John walk up, 
and he calls out for help. And this is what, this is what happens, verse four. It says, Peter, he's asking for alms. Peter looks straight at him, as did John. Now, we don't typically do this. Like, you know, like if you're driving and you get to that intersection, it's that awkward stoplight, and there's a guy standing there with a cardboard and says, hey, we'll work for food. We don't do that. We don't do what Peter and John did. We don't like look at them. We like look away. We don't want to make eye contact, you know? And so, but this is not what Peter and John do. Peter and John, it says they looked straight at him. In fact, the language kind of implies that they glared at him. They were, they were staring at him. They, they were seeing the person is essentially what was happening. And I'm sure that this beggar, he was not used to that either. It was common for the beggar as people walked by to kind of just like not really pay attention, kind of look, walk past him, you know? And so most people would walk by. They would, they would, they would see him, but they wouldn't really look at him. They wouldn't really see the person. It says that every day he was placed at this place. So you have to understand that this happened when Peter and John saw this, was a story that we're reading here in Acts chapter 3. You have to understand that just recently, I mean, it wasn't too long before that, that, that Peter and John probably walked by there before as well, saw this man several times. I'm sure that over time, this beggar who was there every single day would recall faces coming by and people coming by. In fact, it's likely that even Jesus walked by there once or twice or more than, more than that. And he saw Jesus. But this time, so many times they've seen Peter and John, many times they've probably seen Jesus, but this time they stop and they look at him. This time is the right time. This time is the right time. This time they do something about it. And I'm convinced that 2021 is this time for us. This time. It's this time, this year, or we're not just gonna, we're not just gonna pass by, try not to make eye contact, but it's this year that we're gonna look intently at the needs of those around us. It's what Servolution's all about. I mean, you get this, this project guide, and I'm sure you know some of you might get it. And you're like, oh, project guide, that's cool. And you start reading it, and then you get, oh, that's cool. Kingdom Builders is this, and then you. 220,000 for global missions. That's awesome. Local church expansion, 130,000. 75,000 for future leaders. Goal, 425. Oh, man, I'm so proud of my church. And then it says, step into the yes. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, let me look away. <laughs> and we don't, we don't look at the need. We, we, see, we know the need. We see it, but we just look away. I believe that God wants us to look and stare intently, just like Peter and John. You may, you may look away, you may not want to hear about it, but really, this is how we make a difference in the world. This is how you and I make a difference in the world, is when we see the need and we decide to do something about it. And not just simply see the need and say, my church does something about it. I love my church. But we see the need and we decide, we're gonna do something about it. Maybe I could say it this way. The church is unleashed when ordinary people show extraordinary compassion. The church is unleashed when ordinary people show extraordinary compassion. As much as anything, when followers of Jesus show compassion, it unleashes the church. Look what it says in verse six. It says, then Peter said, it's this man who's begging, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. He probably did not really have money. 
but I'm not just gonna walk by you and not give you anything. I'm not gonna say, hey, sorry, maybe next time. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And instantly a miracle takes place. The man's ankle bones gain strength. He starts walking, creates this huge stir because people see the guy. They're like, wait a minute. You're the guy that's been begging there for years and now you're leaping and jumping and praising God. There's something happened here. What's going on? And people start gathering around to listen to what Peter and John have to say about Jesus Christ. You see, their act of compassion gave the gospel credibility and it created an opportunity for them to connect people to Jesus. In many ways, this is what Servolution is like for us. We've, we do, we've been doing Servolution for like 13 years here. It's an outreach where we go into our community and we just serve our community. No strings attached. We don't say you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to, do. we don't do that. We simply identify people that just, that, that need help. And we serve them and we love on them. And you know what that has done for us as a church? I mean, we have the ability to have conversations with mayors and city council people just because we are serving them. We have this opportunity, creates this opportunity. Um, if you're familiar with a show called Chopped, Food Network, anybody familiar with that show, show Chopped on Food Network? Um, <clears throat> it's a show where like four chefs, they come together and they compete against each other, you know, and prize money is like $10,000 and and so, and then, and the judges, they give them like these normal ingredients to make a, a meal, but then there's also like some kind of crazy, weird ingredient that they have to mix into their meal and they have to come up with this fabulous, tasty, good tasting, look good, taste good, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, so I'm watching this one episode, and there's a guy on this, on this episode, his name is Lance. And Lance, at the, from the very outset, I mean, Lance gets on the show and it's like he said, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian, you know. And I have to be honest, when somebody does that on, on national TV, I, I cringe a little bit, because I'm like, okay, I really hope you are. I hope you don't just say that, and then like 30 seconds later, you're just dropping the F-bomb and getting angry and throwing your dishes across the plate, you know? So I, that, you know, I'm a little worried about that, and so I'm you know, feeling this kind of like, Ugh. but he just keeps saying it, and saying it, and saying it, and to, to a point like, I'm like, okay, I'm fed up with Lance. <laughs> All right, prove it, buddy. That's kind of how I'm feeling. Like, really, you're a Christian? I don't, I don't really believe you're a Christian. I don't, this is dialogue going on in my head. So the show goes on. Two of the, the chefs get knocked off. There's two left, Lance and this lady. And she, a young girl, and she's um, from France originally. And she came to the States. She's a chef. Her grandmother lives in France, and she wants to win the $10,000 so she can go to France and see her grandmother, who's on her de- deathbed and you know, hasn't seen her the whole time, you know, wants to give back and see her grandmother. And so it's just between them two. So who do you think I'm rooting for? <laughs> I'm rooting for the lady that's going, not, not the Christian. That's what if, I'm, I'm being honest with you, okay? Because he just kept saying it and saying it, right? Well, then the show moves on and finally the winner's declared and the winner is Lance. Lance wins the $10,000. And it shows the camera as this lady, I wish I remember her name, but she's walking off stage and the camera's following her like typically it is, you know, on, on Chopped. You know, the camera's following her. And you can tell her face. She's just sad that she lost. She's not going to be able to go see her grandmother. And then you can hear in the background, like this unscripted moment. You hear in the background where Lance says, hey, wait. And the judges are like, you could hear commotion going on. And Lance says, hey, wait. Um, look, I wasn't, I didn't even know. I had no clue that I was even going to be able to win and I can't believe that I won, but 
I really want you to go see your grandmother. So here, you can have the $10,000, right? Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I'm like, oh, there's the Christian I was looking for. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. It's like it matched up, right? Your testimony matched up with your actions and, and it just, the compassion began to flow out of him. And so I'm like, <laughs> during the show, I'm like, there you go. Go ahead and tell everybody you're a Christian, lads. Go ahead. Because that's what it looks like. You see, <clears throat> I appreciate him going on national TV and saying he's a Christian. But when he backed it up with compassion, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. Listen, we're going to have an opportunity after opportunity to share our faith, to have compassion in our community. We're going to have opportunity after opportunity to say, hey, Wait. And there's going to be people who think they know about Jesus, who think they know about the church, and they're going to see the gospel in a completely new light because you're not just going to preach the gospel. You're going to flesh it out. You're going to flesh it out with compassion. And that was true for Peter and John. It wasn't their qualifications. It was their compassion that unleashed the gospel. They served somebody first. And I believe that God's calling us to do exactly the same thing. I believe that's in our future we're going to have these incredible opportunities to unleash the gospel through humility and compassion. In verse 4 of chapter 4 says, Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So many heard this message. The compassion happened. They heard the message. They believed the message. So probably about fifteen to 20,000 people are there now. You see Peter's preaching. So his acts of compassion are followed by courageous words. I could say it this way. The church is unleashed when ordinary people start speaking with courage. The church is unleashed when ordinary people start speaking with courage. There's a connection between compassion and speaking with courage, by the way. And I want you to understand the order. You see, there's a, in, our, in the world that we live in right now, there's a lot of people, like in my position, standing on a pulpit, shouting out the gospel. They're shouting out that God is... You know, he's angry at, at the sin of this world. They haven't shown any compassion, and the world is not hearing it. There's an order here. God calls us first to love this world, to love those who are lost and disconnected and need Jesus Christ. Show compassion to them, and when we do that, guess what? We have an open door. There's credibility to the words that we have to say, just like Lance in the show Chopped, Right? What happens next is kind of pretty scary for these, um, for these disciples, these apostles. In verse 1, it says, A priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. I want you to keep in mind that these same, the same people are the ones who also you know, put Jesus on trial, okay? They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. They were kind of freaked out about Jesus, about Peter and John talking about the resurrection of the dead because Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees do believe in the resurrection of the dead. And it's kind of like a political statement was being made. So they arrest them, all right? And they can't try them that night because it's night. So they put them in jail overnight. Um, you know, some, some people, and maybe some of you, have subscribed to this thought, this idea that um, your faith should be kept private. Like, you don't want to make things awkward to people, right? And so you kind of keep it private. 
Um, we live in a day where, it, if, if it ever was, which I don't think it ever was, where that's just not acceptable anymore. Not only is it, not, not, not only is it inappropriate, it's, it's unkind to not speak about your faith with courage. Because you have the hope of Jesus Christ in your life. You've been set free. Some of you in this room, God has set you free from drugs and addiction. God has given you hope. You, 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 before you came to Jesus, you were lost and confused and you had no hope and God has stepped into your life and he's given you hope. It's unkind to have that hope, to have that victory in your life and not tell somebody else it's just in the same boat that you were in. We need to speak we need to speak with courage. But see, it's compassion followed by this opportunity to speak with courage. So Peter and John, you know, they, they begin to preach, and they knew that they could be killed for this, for speaking, but they, it didn't stop them, so they were speaking with courage. Verse seven says, they brought, <clears throat> they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, I want you to notice this word, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there was something happening, and this is a key to being able to speak with courage. This is key to being able to, to, to be unqualified and yet being used by God. It was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, like, rulers and elders of our people, a little bit of respect there, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Like, really, you've arrested us because we did something good? We helped this guy. Do you want to know how he was healed? That was definitely a rhetorical question because he was going to give them an answer no matter what. Do you want to know how he was healed? Well, here it is. <clears throat> Let me clearly state to you, to all of you, and to the, all the people of Israel that he was healed by the, power, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And just in case you think there's another Jesus of Nazareth or something like that, it's the one that, that you guys crucified. That's the one I'm talking about. He's speaking with courage. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. Notice how straightforward he is. But I want, to, I want you to keep something in mind. This was after he healed the beggar. This is after it was clear that they loved people and they had compassion for people. But he's straightforward. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men, by which we, we must be saved. And so what we see about Peter and John is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were spending time with Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 13. It goes back to our verse that we started with. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they spoke courageously and realized that they were unschooled, unschooled ordinary guys. They were uneducated idiots, basically. They were astonished. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is why Jesus wants to unleash the unqualified, because he gets the glory. He shines when he uses someone like me. We put it this way. The church is unleashed when ordinary people spend time with Jesus. That's what they noticed that these guys had been with Jesus. 
Look, I, I realize that I may not have convinced you that, that those unwords that I shared earlier with you, that I, I may not have convinced you that those words don't matter, that you might still feel like they do matter. Like you might feel like your, uh, your unessentialness is just, I just, I'm unessential. Just, God can't use me or my unprepared, God can't use me in that. You know, you might feel like you're just unqualified. And I get that. I get that sometimes we feel that way. I get that sometimes we do feel unqualified. We don't feel like God can use us. But you need to understand something. That God does want to use you. Now, there is an unword that if it's our life, it's who we are, God cannot use us. And that's hard. Very few things you can say God cannot do. And that's the word Unavailable. It's amazing when you read through the scriptures, you read stories of ordinary people doing some pretty extraordinary things. And what's common through every single one of them is that they were available. Isaiah says, here my God, send me. And go on, story after story after story of people who were available to God. But if you're unavailable, well, so my challenge to you, my challenge to you is to be available. See, some of us, I think, we just feel, we don't feel qualified, and so we say no. We, the leash is on, and we just say no. Some of us say no because we just don't want to. Or maybe we don't say no. Maybe we say not now. But I want to challenge you to lose that leash. Step toward it. Step into what God has for your future. One thing that you can do is, hey, I'm serious about this. I know it's going to sound self-serving like I'm pastor and I'm asking you to give, to, to make a commitment to, to kingdom builders. But let me tell you something. When you become a generous Christian, it will change your life. It will change your life. So I'm asking you to step into availability by saying, here, God, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. I don't know if you know this, but if every person at Life Church that gives was to, you know, that commits, that, I'm not talking about every person at Life Church, but people that give. We have a, like a, a large group of people that give here at Life Church. If every one of them gave like $1,500 in 2021, like that's about $125 a month, <clears throat> um, we would blow that $425,000 out of the water. Now, I don't want to minimize 125 a month because you might think, well, I can't commit $125 a month. But I would suspect that you probably pay more in cable and internet than that. I'm not trying to guilt you into doing this, but I am asking you the question very sincerely. Are you available to build God's kingdom? Are you available? That's the question. Will you look intently or you look away? Let's all stand. <clears throat> I want to pray for us. And I'm very sincere. I, I want us to ask ourselves, God, will you use me? I realize that we are a mixture of people with all kinds of different backgrounds. And I realize we're a mixture of people that... that um, come from different socioeconomic places, 
financially speaking. I get that. That's the beauty of actually it being a body thing that does it, the whole body does it, because when the whole body comes together, you know, there are some who say, man, I, I wanna do my part and I have, I can leverage $10 a month. And there's others who say, I wanna do my part and I can leverage $1,000 a month. And there's some who say, I, can do, I wanna do my part and I can leverage $100,000 this year or $200,000 this year. That's happened too. But we all are doing it together. God is inviting all of us to be available. And when you step into that, man, God can change your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. Father, we stand here as recipients of all of that. Every one of us in this room, Father, did not deserve salvation. We didn't deserve the goodness that you have done in our lives. You, we didn't deserve you setting us free from addictions. We don't deserve you restoring our marriages, but yet, God, you've done it because you are good, because you are generous, because you are loving. And now you're calling us, you're inviting us to step into that yes, to be available, to become a kingdom builder. God, you want to unleash us. You want to unleash us to change this world. So God, here we stand. I say yes, Lord. I say yes, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're gonna do through Life Church, Father. I'm believing you, God, that you are gonna take the generosity of this church and you're gonna multiply it many hundred times over, Father, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people will know Jesus Christ because of the faith of this little body. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We have prayer teams in the back on both sides, and uh, I encourage you, if you're here and you need prayer, you're welcome to go and pray with them. In fact, they're there to serve you. They wanna love on you. I encourage you to fill out this commit commitment card as well. We will be collecting them through the month of March. So if you're not ready today to do it, that's fine. Fill it out, bring it back. Otherwise, God bless you. Thank you for being with us, and uh, we will see you next week.